You're listening to CKGI Gabriola Co-op Radio 98.7 FM and on the web at ckgi.ca. And this is The Farmer's Table. I'm Alexandria Stewart. And I'm Sean Enns. And today we're exploring GE Free BC. First, a resolution from the Union of BC Municipalities aims to declare BC an area free of genetically modified organisms. We'll look at what that means on Vancouver Island and the Gulf Islands. Then it's off to Namaste Farm, where John and Nancy Pierce share their land with the community. We'll talk a little bit about the end of the farmer's market season, and then close the show with the last word, our own thoughts on the front lines of the GE debate. And now, GE Free BC. In April 2013, the Association of Vancouver Island and Coastal Communities, a collective of regional politicians, voted to ban genetically modified food and seeds. The motion, put forth by Councillor Milne of Machosen, passed by an overwhelming margin. In September 2013, the motion came to the Union of BC Municipalities Convention, the UBCM, where it also passed. The resolution asks the provincial government to ban importing, exporting, and growing plants and seeds containing genetically engineered DNA, and to ban raising GE animals thereby declaring B.C. a genetically modified organism-free area. Some municipalities, acting on the wishes of their citizens, are declaring themselves GE-free. What does that mean to individuals? Eric Veal, a member of the Agricultural Advisory Committee to the Islands Trust, was involved in bringing the issue forward on Gabriola Island. June of 2012, I, I was at an Agricultural Advisory committee meeting and we at the meeting actually cobbled together a a proposal for Islands Trust and then of course the Islands Trust had many other issues and very few resources and it sort of got put onto the back table so I took it on on my own efforts to to circulate a petition we uh, in May of 2013 handed a hard copy signatures of 400 island residents who wanted an advocacy statement in the official community plan that reflected uh, reflected us you know not supporting any genetically modified plants or crops on the island you know basically for any purposes the island's trust seems to be very much for it Sheila Malcolmson, chair of the Islands Trust and trustee for Gabriola Island, spoke about their approach at the UBCM. We were at the convention and we were voting in support of the resolution. For Gabriola, the local governing body that does zoning and develops the official community plan, and I'm a member of that, one of the members of it, um, we have an agriculture advisory committee that ran all through our official community plan and our zoning bylaw to find all the things that um, we could do as a local government to be more supportive of farmers. And one of the many recommendations that they made is uh, that Gabriola be declare itself uh, a GE GMO-free zone. So right now we're in the process of running through all their recommendations and trying to figure out the right wording and uh, how we could include that in our official community plan and then we will go out to the broader members of the public and do our own consultation on finding out whether people agreed with that principle um, so it's it's in process we have had encouragement from 
the farming community, some of them, um, that we include a statement like that. But we call it an advocacy statement. You know, we don't actually have the power to say yes or no. It is definitely all the lobbying has all been at the provincial level. It's the province that could do this. And so if a statement about uh, genetically modified organisms got into Gabriel's official community plan, it would very much be at the um, encouraging level and uh, you know, using that to describe the community interest in having the province implement policies along those lines. Isn't something that local government could enforce or carry out itself. It's just not in the suite of local government powers that have been given to us by the province. But it is a way to, including a statement like that in an official community plan, is a way of articulating the community voice. And because it goes through a lot of public process, public hearing and everything, then the province usually does pay pretty good attention to advocacy statements like that. The issue extends to other Gulf Islands and beyond. Galliano Island does already have a GMO policy in its official community plan. And so it's a, this is, a, again, an agriculture advocacy policy. It isn't something that the trust committee itself can, can enforce, but the wording is uh, farm operators shall be encouraged to avoid the use of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, other noxious chemicals, ensure production methods maintain soil quality and minimize erosion, ensure surface and groundwater recharge areas are not contaminated by agricultural activities, collect and store rainwater for irrigation purposes, and avoid the use or introduction of genetically modified organisms. So a good example of advocacy statement, um, not something that, the, that we're able as local government to regulate, but certainly an encouragement to farmers and uh, something that the province you know, could look at if they were trying to gauge the level of support for a ban like that. Um, some of the debate that I heard at the Union of BC Municipalities Convention, where we had a lot of farmers stand up at the microphone, farmers who happened to be elected to local government also, and say very strong things about the, um, you know, the integrity of their organic certification, the integrity of what they've done around building up, uh, you know, heritage apple stock, so on, um, you know, and saying that GMOs they view as a threat to their livelihood. These are places other than Gabriola. We might hear more of the same thing from from farmers on the island, um, but then we may as we may also hear people say, you know what, GMOs are one of the things that are keeping my feed costs down, or whatever. Um, or there are too many regulations already. We don't want any more. Don't get in the way of farming. You know, we may well hear a mix of that, but who knows? I mean, especially because it's not something that we can actually enforce. Um, it may be that it ends up not being a super controversial issue. Until we go through the process, it's a bit hard to know. I would imagine that if the province moved forward on making BC a GMO-free zone, they would have to be confident that they've really got farmers on board on this. In my mind, the importance of Union of BC Municipalities passing a resolution opposing genetically modified organisms is that it really reflects the, the concern that our constituents at the local government level have about you know what might be happening in the background around impacts on ecology and health and the sustainability of farming in our especially with climate change coming you know it may be that we're just going to be extra reliant on the unusual kind of seeds that have developed in our BC environment you know that we'll be especially reliant on 
on things that work well in our climate and will grow well. And so I guess in my mind, it sort of came from just the general unease about how fast the science is moving in this area. And I hope that it'll make the province recognize that there is discomfort with this sort of you know, manipulation of agriculture and having our constituents articulate that and then having local government articulate it to the province, I think, can only move the conversation forward and put it at a little bit of a higher level for uh, attention because there's lots of people that I think have got really good reason to be asking serious questions about where we're going. Asking questions is valid, but enforceability is at the heart of the issue. It remains to be seen how the provincial government will respond to the UBCM resolution. Robert Wager, faculty member in the biology department at Vancouver Island University, points out that the GE-free BC resolution contradicts other provincial legislation. This type of regulation is at the federal level, so even the provincial government has no jurisdiction on this. Uh, Further, this type of a, a ban request goes directly against the Right to Farm Act in BC. So there is no enforceability because it's an illegal um, uh, resolution in the first place. So no farmers will be held to uh, comply with an illegal resolution. First off, there's no uh, money for uh, municipal or RDN people to go around and enforce something that they can't detect in the first place. They have no scientific uh, equipment to detect whether something is GE or not. And secondly, they certainly don't have the budget to do such things. And thirdly, it's not in their jurisdiction. So all those reasons uh, argue that there will be zero effect from such a resolution. Nanaimo City Councillor and RDN Agricultural Committee Chair Diana Johnstone declined our invitation to participate in this story, stating that neither council or the RDN have stated a position on genetically modified foods. In Lanceville, we spoke to Mayor Jack DeYoung about the potential effects of the resolution in his community. The impact on Lanceville would be non-existent in terms of the far, you know, the community itself. There may be indirect consequences if they do that, you know, but I, direct consequences on our farmer community uh, zero, I think. Though its agricultural land base is small, each member of the District of Lanceville Council had a vote at the UBCM. Mayor Dion was clear that he was speaking only on his own behalf, not for the entire council. I thought the resolution was not well framed. The resolution, I think, it came from Ms. Cholson, small farming community. I think they have about 5,000 uh, 5, residents, but the, the farms are generally quite small. And the resolution, as it was framed, uh, suggested to ban all genetically modified materials in BC. And as the discussion went at UBCM, and it was a very close vote, the opposition to it came mainly from the larger farmer farming communities in BC, not from the small farming communities in BC. And their rationale and the reason for not wanting to pass the absolute ban was that they were dependent on, on many genetically modified seeds and, and, and pro, uh, crops uh, for their livelihood. There was one, there was one uh, farmer, a large farmer, fruit farmer, who, who wanted genetically modified materials of crops to be uh, not uh, approved. But his reasons were, were uh, um, different. They, they had nothing to do with health. Or His reason was that the Europeans didn't accept genetically modified um, apples 
And so he, he uh, if he grew any, and if they grew in his area, he would be banned from exporting apples to Europe. So his, motiv his motiv motivation for banning it was different from some of the others. So I, I, uh, I voted against it because I, I felt that it, it was important to keep an open mind to it at this point in time. Uh, the, the resolution was really scientifically, in my view, personal view, was scientifically too conservative. Banning it closes the door to all of it, and, and I believe that's a mistake. I really, I, I really do. Uh, and, and I think that's where the emotions get carried away on those genetic modifications that people have interpreted, and perhaps rightly, that may be dangerous. And uh, so that... that uh, that should be addressed, and I think the federal government has to address that, and they have to address that in some transparent way. Opposition critic for agriculture Nicholas Sims advised us that the provincial government does have the power to influence federal policy, but the provincial party in power must have the will to do so. BC Minister of Agriculture Pat Pym declined our invitation to comment for this story. As of October 2013, his ministry has not issued a response to the UBCM resolution. While municipalities may not have the power to enforce a GE-free BC, they can rework their official community plans and encourage certain farming practices. Eric Veal believes that, between the federal government, provinces, and municipalities, governments have actually been hobbled by their own systems, which brings the matter back to personal responsibility. Whether you support genetic engineering or not, for now, the actions of the individual are the ones that matter. Three times a day, we vote with our dollars. You're listening to The Farmer's Table on CKGI Gabriolo Co-op Radio, 98.7 FM, and on the web at ckgi.ca. And now for our profile segment, where we get to know local farmers and food processors. Namaste Farm is 22 acres of agricultural land reserve property on South Road. Like many who seek a life in small-scale agriculture, John and Nancy Pierce wanted more control over their food sources. But there were deeper motives that brought them to Gabriola Island. Part of it is knowing where it's coming from and knowing that it doesn't have additives and so forth and so on. I'm a cancer survivor, so that's a significant factor for me. Um, but at a more, fun, you said spiritual level, and at a more fundamental level, there's part of me that fears the apocalypse. And I was talking about this with somebody a few months ago and sort of wondering where that came from. And she said, well, you're a child of the 50s. You grew up in the Cold War. Shouldn't be so surprising. So am I, this person was speaking. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But somewhere deep in my soul, I feel like when the world comes to a stop, I want to at least be able to feed me myself the basics and my family. Um, and that's... Hard to explain, it's just there. The road to Gabriola Island was a long one for the Pierces. My wife and I were in, had moved from Halifax to Calgary in 1978 on a five-year plan to get to the West Coast. <laughs> and it took us a while. Why did we zone in on Gabriola was because it's a, it feels like a very nice community to us, which it certainly has become, uh, a very eclectic community and lots of different choices of things to do, far too many volunteer opportunities. Um, 
And uh, this particular piece of land, well, I knew I wanted something that I could farm on a small scale or garden at least. And uh, so it was a case of where was their agricultural land, preferably south-facing. And, you know, I could argue that this is one of the best pieces of agricultural land on Gabriola for, for that purpose because it's a south-facing slope. The land was fertile and held a lot of promise, but it was far from ready for farming. The original field in front of us here, between us and South Road, when we bought the land was wall-to-wall -wall blackberries. So it was eight foot high, blackberry thicket, you couldn't walk across the land without a machete. Um, and so our first task was clearing all those blackberries on the surface. And then we plowed and harrowed three times and ended up with big mounds of blackberry roots. And then ended up having to use Roundup because everything came up in blackberries and thistles. And then plowed and harrowed a fourth time and finally seeded in the, what would have been the fall of 2001. <clears throat> um, is that right? Yeah, fall of 2001. And then since then, we've kept the land mown, and, and in the last 10 or 12 years anyway, it's mown for hay. Uh, so Eric Bolton, who's sort of the dean of farming on this island, uh, comes by and he cuts the front fields for himself. I pay for the fertilizer, he does the cutting, he takes the hay, and he gets about 30 of those big round marshmallow bales. And then the back meadow I cut for myself for square bales and then sell that or use it for the gardens or something. Before moving to the land, John made an investment by planting trees, and it has started to pay off. One of the things I did in 2001 is to plant an orchard. And so I put in a bunch of fruit trees thinking, well, okay, by the time we move here, we'll have fruit, which was good planning. So I think I've got 11 kinds of apples three or four kinds of pears, three or four kinds of plums. Um, cherries haven't worked very well. Peaches died. Figs are doing fairly well. Um, I keep experimenting with different things. I have a quince tree that produces gorgeous quince. Um, all, all, anybody could want out of one tree because uh, it's not something you eat in volume. <clears throat> um, I planted some Manchurian apricots, which would be a long time before they come to fruition, I think. They're only about this, they're bushes more than trees. And I have some nut trees. I actually got my first walnut yesterday after 10 years, 12 years. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and the first good hazelnut crop um, as well. And then in the garden, sort of standard, well, garlic is one thing that a lot of people in Gabriela grow. And it, it's a great cash crop. Uh, Actually, somebody from Nanus called up and wanted 30 heads of garlic. Well, for me, that's a big sale. Um, tomatoes, uh, I've probably got 60 pounds of tomatoes in the freezer. Um, uh, lettuce, broccoli, cabbage. I really try hard to focus on some of the winter uh, crops like purple sprouting broccoli, which comes in March, winter cauliflower, which comes in April, um, <clears throat> because they're pr producing, they're coming out of the garden at the time when you really need something. Leeks is another good one. Water is a precious resource on Gabriola Island for everyone, especially farmers. Fortunately, there are many different sources on Namaste Farm. We have a well, 
which was not on the real estate listing when we when we bought the property. And the neighbor said, oh, it's right down in that blackberry thicket. Which blackberry thicket? Uh, anyway, he helped me find it and uh, recover it. And it's a decent well, but it produces a lot of very high in iron and manganese, which is common on the island. So I really didn't want to bring that into the house because it stains everything. And we're fortunate we have a winter spring up near where the grain field is. So about early December, that spring will start flowing and flow until end of April. And so I'm, I capture that water. Well, most of that water gets piped all the way down past the building site. But then I can open a valve and divert and I've got a big 18,000-gallon metal cistern, uh, which I can fill in three days in December, and that's our house water. And then we also collect off the carport, which is only a 500-square-foot roof. Um, so we have a total of 20,000 gallons of cistern storage. Then, with, even with all that water, I drilled a second well for the allotment gardens, because I knew just where to put it, and I knew we had a lot of water in that field. The Pierce's goal is to work their land for their own benefit, as well as for the communities. We've worked out that our main goal is to supply all our own fruit and vegetables 12 months a year. We're pretty close to that with use of the freezer and canning and so forth. We still buy tomatoes and lettuce in the middle of winter. Uh, one of the things that we sort of established as a value was to, to use the land as, as effectively as we could for, in an ecological sense if, or a farming sense. And since I'm basically myself and I have a little bit of hired help, but only casual, um, and I don't want to get a big farming operation because five years from now I may not be able to keep up with it. Um, so it was a question of how can we share out things a little bit. Um, some other people, some neighbors approached us about using a, a corner of the orchard. So they've been farming that for two years now, about a 3,000 square foot patch, because they don't have enough land or sun to accomplish everything they want. And then in discussions with various people, Sapporo Grignon, um, uh, Eric Veal being two, the, the sort of concept came up with, if okay, if you're going to share your land for somebody else to farm it, then the owner has to be prepared to put up some of the capital, i.e. fences, um, provide water. Because if the experiment doesn't work and the people leave, those fences stay. And so that was kind of a aha moment that, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to be prepared to invest some money. And it certainly makes the land better. It's more satisfying to us to see it well used. And it's certainly, <clears throat> as far as we can tell, been a great success. So then we thought, okay, in various discussions, the Commons has their allotment gardens at the north end of the island, which are over, were oversubscribed. And people from the south end of the island drive to the north end of the island 10 kilometers each way to farm their garden there. 400 square feet, that's not very efficient from a greenhouse gas point of view. Why not have a satellite operation down here? So we approach the commons and the rest is history. <laughs> um, it's worked very well. The one thing that I think has worked well is that we sort of set it up so that we interact with one person 
in the in the farming team of the commons, and then the twenty odd twenty or twenty five people that are involved in the allotment gardens interact with themselves, and then the degree to which I mostly or Nancy and they interact the individuals is sort of as we choose to as opposed to having any formal complex arrangement and so if, if something goes wrong I call up Sharon Patterson and and say um, by the way such and such um, so far nothing's gone wrong it's one of the fun things about having the allotment gardens here is because then you you find there's a whole range of people from John Switzer at the very skilled end to people who've never gardened before in their life and that say, I don't really want to take on a plot. I'd like to help somehow and learn. So it's been fun interacting with, with that group too. In addition to the allotment gardens, John has opened his gates to an exciting venture bringing an important crop back to Gabriola Island. There's the Gabriola Grain Co-op, um, another well, basically the part of the farming community there's been quite a, a lot of discussion about reestablishing growing grain on the island. Um, I did a little investigation myself because there was a small-scale wheat farmer down in Machosan, and he farms maybe 100 acres. But he accomplishes it by having machines. He went to Saskatchewan and bought second-hand small-scale machine equipment so he has a combine a small combine and he has a small seat cleaner and all of this infrastructure i'm going like that doesn't work on the gabriella scale <laughs> anyway these guys so i've sort of lost interest in it in a personal sense because i don't see how to do it in a practical sense these guys are more energetic i guess and so i said well fine if you want to try we fenced off uh, three quarters of an acre i guess Again, I provided the materials they put in the fence. Um, there's no water up there, and they're growing a variety of different grains, a very small amount of wheat at the moment. Uh, they had a fairly good crop of winter rye. Uh, winter rye was probably eight feet tall when they, when they cut it. Uh, <clears throat> and they grew some spelt and some one or two kinds of wheat and various kinds of beans. And... Um, I don't know what, they just planted something on Monday. I'm not sure what they planted, some sort of winter cover crop. Um, so they use my tractor, and uh, again, it's fun to see all of the different ideas. And The land-sharing arrangements on Namaste Farm go beyond working the soil. It also welcomes some very important tenants. We also have bees on the property. Brenda Yeager, who is the provincial bee inspector for northern Vancouver Island, lives on Gabriola. And she keeps, I don't know, 15 or 20 hives here during the summer. She raises queens, <clears throat> and um, so that helps with the pollination. I'm all, still, I'm still amazed, though, in the spring, I would say we've probably got six or seven different species of bees here. Uh, I, I walk through the orchard, and every tree has a different species of bee, bee on it, and only some of them are the honeybees. These land-sharing activities enrich the entire community of Gabriola Island. John and Nancy Pierce look forward to enjoying what they've built at Namaste Farm. I can see out about five years and not much further than that at the moment. Um, our kids are scattered all over. Uh, well, they all love it here. I don't think any of them... Well, my son in Seattle might possibly choose to live here. My younger two kids, 
I don't think so. Um, so, I mean, personally, I, I would love it if I've got another 30 years if they carry me out of here in a box and the house is designed so that we can live on one level and there's space for a caregiver downstairs. So we did design it with the idea of growing old and frail um, here, if we're that lucky. Uh, if we're not, I don't know, and that's a concern. Listening to CKGI Gabriel, a co-op radio, 98.7 FM, and on the web at ckgi.ca. The leaves have fallen and the season for farmers markets has come to a close. You can still visit the Qualicum Beach Market until December, though, and the Duncan Farmers Market operates year-round. There are other ways you can support local small-scale agriculture, too. Check online at farmerstable.ca for ideas and links. I'm Sean Inns, and this is The Last Word. It's hard to get mad or feel sad when everyone seems to agree with me that a GE-free BC is where we, as a society, want to be. Thousands of Canadians march against Monsanto, more than once each year, all in solidarity of supporting a country free from food and feed that carries the GMO label. Or doesn't, since there isn't any labeling of GMO here. And anyway, it's not just here. In cities around the globe, people march against Monsanto and call for action and more information and clear studies and better labels. It seems that the people of the world at large are against the idea of genetic modification. Or at least they feel entitled to know that they're eating MON810 when they're eating it. And some countries are taking action. Monsanto has been banned in Mexico. Hawaii too. France and Germany, Austria, Hungary, Greece, even little old Luxembourg has banned it, or most of it, in advance of understanding it better. All this in spite of the World Health Organization, Health Canada, the FDA, and the USDA saying it's safe. But this isn't about whether it's good or bad, or safe or not, or whether we ought to err on the side of caution. It's clear to me that Canadians want a GE-free country, and it's clear to me that BC wants to be GE-free too. The problem isn't what we want. The problem is that there's currently a world-class game of pass the buck going on. The municipalities can't do anything about it. They pass the buck to the province, so instead they advocate, which honestly, to me, sounds more like abdicate. It's the province, they say, as they vote and decide that BC ought to be GE-free. And the province hears their plea and says, well, nothing. And the province, well, there's a rumor afoot that even if they wanted to, the best they could do would be to put pressure on the feds. Those are Harper's feds. The same feds who tried to sue the EU in 2008 for their stance against importing genetically modified food. The same feds who just passed CETA, a nasty bit of business that will seriously affect Canada's cheese producers. Anyway, if previous behavior is any indication, and it usually is, I suspect that international trade agreements will, once again, trump the social story. That if Monsanto has the cash, and we know they do, that they can just buy their way into Canada. 
and that those of us who want to live in a genetically modified free space, well, we'll have to learn to live another way or live somewhere else. So what does a GE-free BC mean to individuals? Municipalities can encourage certain farming practices, but advocacy statements are simply unenforceable. What it comes down to is individual choices. Farmers may choose whether the seed and feed they buy are genetically engineered. Consumers may choose whether the produce and animal products they buy are genetically modified. Democracy may be exercised in the voting booth, but really, it happens in our wallets. Thanks for joining us at the Farmer's Table on CKGI Gabriola Co-op Radio, 98.7 FM, and on the web at ckgi.ca. You'll find more stories, links to farmer's markets and the people we've spoken with today, and more online at farmerstable.ca. 